1: Welcome back. Friday, February 10th, 2023. I am Seth Leaps and our phone number is 602-508-0960. Because it's Friday, we have our associate producer, David Dahl, with us. As we always have, our chief producer, Bill, uh, with us. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thank you all for being with us uh, today. What do you got on your uh, breast uh, today? What 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 pin we got there, David?
2: It says I'm with the Duke. Any ideas?
1: I am with the Duke. Possibly Michael Dukakis.
2: And the Massachusetts miracle. You've got that right.
1: So that was for the 1988 presidential run.
2: I think, and I could be wrong. Unless it was I for a governor. This is from when he ran for governor. On the back, oh, is it? It's 86 a, Massachusetts. Oh, when
1: he ran for governor. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I didn't live in Massachusetts at the the time. I lived there later. I worked for his successor, William Weld, who was the governor at the time. Um, But uh, I met Dukakis several times. Uh, One, uh, when I uh, was a liberal lefty. And um, then again, later in life, when he was teaching at Northeastern and when I was living in Boston. Interesting example. I once heard someone give a sermon about the um, the uh, impermanence, what would be a good word, a better word than impermanence, evanescence uh, of, um, of fame in America. Uh, a religious leader was giving a, uh, a sermon on this, um, and he used Michael Dukakis as an example. And really? he said he had, yeah, he had run into him, or saw him, I should say, at a grocery store. This would have been somewhere in the 90s in a grocery store just among the people like everyone else with his, uh, you know, cart, just pushing lots of groceries just as, you know, a regular man buying, you know, whatever he was buying. Who knows whether it was cereal, granola, meat, poultry, milk, dairy, eggs, whatever. And um, he thought, you know, it's funny, you know, if this were not that long ago, four years ago, five years ago, This was a man on the cusp of being the most powerful man in the world uh, and certainly the most recognizable or at least one of the top two or three most recognizable men in America. He ran against George H.W. Bush that year, 1988, when he ran for president. And you can go from all that attention and all that fame and all that importance, really, to just being another passerby in the grocery store, right? And, and I, was, I was thinking, I, I always think about that story or that sermon about how fleeting fame can be. Mr. Rogers called it a four-letter word, right? And, um, and I was thinking about it in the context of a book, I think this will be the second time this week I've mentioned it, a book by G.K. Chesterton, a uh, british uh, writer uh who uh, visited america in the um in the uh in the in the in the middle part of the uh, 20th century and he and he wrote a book about what i saw in america in uh, 1922 very much worth reading and he has this wonderful phrase i was just racing to talk if i'm slow in talk it's cuz i was racing to pull it up here on my computer this wonderful Chesterton does. He has this wonderful um, thought about America and fame and equality. May I read it? All this because you wore a pin for Michael Dukakis's 1986 <laughs> gubernatorial race. Um, this is G.K. Chesterton, What I Saw in America in 1922. In truth—oh, okay, so he's writing about one of the things he saw in America was the notion that equality here is an illusion— this notion that we are not a free and equal country or a country that esteems equality is not new to us, okay? That, that's one point. Uh, Chesterton noticed it when he was here, people saying, quote, equality is an illusion. He writes, "...in truth it is inequality that is the illusion." The extreme disproportion between men that we seem to see in life is a thing of changing lights and lengthening shadows, a twilight full of fancies and distortions. We find a man famous and cannot live long enough to find him forgotten. We see a race dominant and cannot linger to see it decay." It is the experience of men that always returns to the equality of men. It is the average that ultimately justifies the average man. It is when men have seen and suffered much and come at the end of more elaborate experiments that they see men as men under an equal light of death and daily laughter and none the less mysterious for being many. Nor is it in vain That these Western Democrats have sought the blazonry of their flag in that great multitude of immortal lights that endure behind the fires we see and gathered them into the corner of old glory whose ground is like the glittering night for veritably in the spirit as well as in the symbol suns and moons and meteors pass and fill our skies with a fleeting an almost theatrical conflagration, and wherever the old shadow stoops upon the earth, the stars return. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Now think about that—that that great word he uses. Um, as I'm just thinking out loud with you, the word blazonry. He was writing in the 1920s, so so uh, we don't, um, you know, we don't always use or see these same same um, same language same vernacular but blazonry it's a it's a great word it's the blazonry of our uh, flag is what he says right the blazonry of old glory the emblem of old glory which is our american flag and you think about that as we are about to spend a ritual on sunday called the super bowl where there will be a national anthem and I don't know the reaction that we're all going to have with that national anthem um, this year. It will probably be better than previous years. But the thing that I am so upset about is the fact that the NFL and other leagues, other uh, athletic leagues, are involved in this, I guess we can call it an experiment, of having two national anthems. There is the National Anthem, and then there is what is referred to as the Black National Anthem. It's Lift Every Voice and Sing. And I've spoken about this before. I may have even spoken about it earlier in the week. It is not only illogical, but self-defeating as definitional that we can be one nation, one nation under God, or one nation under anything— if you have two national anthems, you can't have a nation if it's going to have songs that represent different people's interests. We are either all one, e pluribus unum, or we aren't. And is this the beginning then of other people based on their racial categorization going to quest their National anthems? Is there going to be in turn a Hispanic national anthem or some other kind of national anthem? You are no longer one nation if the anthem, the song to it, the tribute to it, or anything called national has more than one, based not on an idea necessarily, not on a thought or a belief system necessarily. But on nothing other than raw race, an immutable characteristic, something you have no volitional choice over. You are either born into that race or not. And then ipso facto, if you are born into that race, you are saying what? The original Star Spangled Banner is not my song. What does it mean to stand for one and not the other? Does it mean white people should not stand the black national anthem or that black people should not stand for the national anthem? What is the point of offering more than one national anthem? It is to say there is more than one nation. That's the incongruity here. That's the disturbing thing to me here. We are either one nation or we are not. We are either one people because we live in one nation or we are not. And it seems to me we are not. And it seems to me people who raise the issue of how divided we are and how divisive our views of this country and our politics are might do little better than looking at the Super Bowl this weekend and understanding why. I'm Seth Leapson, 602 508 602 A lot of you have been hearing me talk about Y Refi for a while now. If you still have some questions, do feel free to contact them. They're number eight 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 Y Refi thirty four. They're happy to put you in touch with any number of satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have happily been investing with them and seeing great returns. Think too about your IRA and whether you'd like it to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed. Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. Investyrefi.com or 888-Y-REFI-34. David, what did, what do we got for our What Did You Learn This Week segment? What do you got? What did you learn this week? You must have learned something interesting this week. It can doesn't have to have been in this show. I just We should always be learning. A, B, L. What did you learn this week?
2: Uh, this is something. Did you
1: see a new movie, for example? Did you take any of my movie recommendations?
2: Seth? I love and appreciate your movie recommendations, but you
1: haven't seen them. Not yet, but I will. You like the you like the uh, oh yes, Bill. Come on in, please join us. Move down, move down, move down. (laughs) Producer Bill joining us in the studio for the segment. Put on the uh, cans there. uh, Suit yourself up. What'd you learn, David?
2: This is kind of interesting. So... We'll
1: be the judge of
2: that. Okay, fine. <laughs> when Elvis was filming Fun and Acapulco, yeah. which is a favorite of mine when it comes to Elvis movies, mm-hmm. he was not allowed in Mexico. Oh, he was banned from Mexico at the time because of uh, allegations against him that were later proven to be false after uh-huh. his death.
1: No and kidding. all of
2: that was filmed on a soundstage in Los Angeles, and they used a body double for the Mexico scene. Is that right? But yes.
1: Okay, that's something worth knowing. Yes. Who, who starred in that movie?
2: Um, uh Elvis. Yes, of course.
1: Okay, that's very funny. Yes, I remember in my eighth grade science class when I was asked by the teacher, where do you find basalt? And I said, Basal- a basalt mine. That didn't work. Oh, yeah, no. I like that. Well, yeah, you know what we were looking for? We were looking for Ursula Andress. Oh. Who appeared, I believe, in two Bond movies, not only as uh, in Dr. No as uh, Honey, Honey, Honey Rider. Rider yeah. yeah, but I think she was, uh, wasn't she in another one? Casino Royale, but that wasn't really a Bond movie, I guess. That was a spoof of a Bond movie. David Niven? Yeah, yeah. Nicely done. All right. You get, you get a lot of credit for that one.
2: <laughs> Seth, can
3: they do that? Can they have an actress in a movie and then have her in a, one that it's pretending to be? That's from A Mighty Wind, right? That's, yeah. that's the
1: voice of producer Bill. Bill, what have you learned? I should say, what have we learned this week? But that would violate
3: the Mark Twain rule. Well, we had a caller early in the week that mentioned he uses DuckDuckGo, Uh and I thought—no, I apologize. He says he uses the Brave browser. Okay. And I thought, if you use Brave and use DuckDuckGo on Brave as your search engine, you're double private protected. You've always been good at this. Do
1: you want to tell the audience what you're talking about for a moment? They may not be familiar with those terms. It's important that they are. Go ahead.
3: If if you're tired of Google spying on you, (laughs) sending ads— depending on what you're looking at you can. you can use the brave browser that's a good one Got it, folks. Uh, opera is also a good one good alternative to chrome and then of course my favorite search engine duck duck go so it's really just literally duck duck go and they don't spy on
1: you yes All right. they do not spy on you so we, this spying espionage was a big part of this segment what a, oh, From James Bond to, you know. This was really the week of spying, if you count the balloon. If you count the balloon and if you count the hearings at the Judiciary Committee on the weaponization of the Justice Department and the FBI uh, being, uh, being used to uh, monitor conservative, uh, conservative groups and com-
3: conservative citizens. Anything
1: else you would like to share with the
3: audience? I don't learn anything significant a lot of the time, so that'll have to do. All right. I thought you were going to say I don't learn by talking. Yeah, you can learn a lot by listening. Yeah, you, can. you how, how did Yogi Berra put it? You can observe a lot by watching? <laughs> yes, All right. Well, yes, David, you had said one. said
2: learn by osmosis. Yeah, yeah,
1: you can learn by osmosis. You know where you can't learn? Uh, this is uh, Learning is a big issue here. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, David, for doing that. I, that's fun. Thank you for playing around, playing with us. Um, the miseducation, learning is a huge thing to me, uh, you know, uh, as is I mean the whole theme of what we're doing to our children, uh, you have a clip of me I heard on the uh, taken from a, a another show, I guess where I was saying we wouldn't have youth problems if we didn't have adult problems, uh, which is eminently true, and I, maybe we need to remind ourselves of that the 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 abuse of children isn't uh, yes it's awful and criminal when it's physical to be sure, no doubt but also when it's uh emotional and also when it's uh ideological and political um and and what's even worse as a, this is a major theme of mine the abuse of children but what's even worse what's even worse is when it's done by those you're supposed to trust by those who have kind of taken upon themselves and have Gained the respect and earned the fealty of being responsible for the nurturing of our children. So this is, I think, why the crimes of what the Disney Corporation are engaged in rub so raw. It's not as if General Electric is doing these things. It's not as if AT&T is doing these things which you know would have been would have been bad enough or would be bad enough it's that a company we all kind of grew up and trusted to entertain children it was a company dedicated or is a company dedicated to the amusement of children that's doing these things and that's why it kind of hits i think doubly hard what they've been engaged in this proud family series cartoon series that we spent some time talking about in my monologue and elsewhere yesterday. Abraham Lincoln didn't free the slaves. Uh, America is uh, through and through uh, entirely and wealthened by its racist and slave legacy. John Hinderocker was writing on it at Powerline today. The video suggests that every single thing in America was built by slaves and that today's blacks are entitled to reparations. These are staples of the left, but stupid nevertheless. Oh, my gosh. Were you really doing that to me? You couldn't help it. We're a little silly today. Tell them what you did, Bill. Tell them what you did. Tell them what you did. Tell them what you were playing ranchero music when people go on too long at the Emmys or at the Oscars, they try and get them to walk off stage by playing a little music, but the music kind of almost sounds to the speaker they're trying to get out. It almost sounds like it's there to enhance their message when it's kind of, you know, trying to yank them off the stage. So Adam Carolla's idea was to fix it by playing Ranchero music. And I had 90 seconds left in this second, and you went in with the, in this segment, and you went to the ranchero music to walk me off the stage here and get me into break. Was that accidental or on purpose? Was I droning on too long?
4: <laughs>
1: what was it? <laughs> little column A, little column B? All right. Well, now it's appropriate. I'll be right back.
0: Can you have an actual three dimensional object? that represents the thing that it actually is, can that be next to something that it's pretending to be?
1: Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Instead of uh, reading you uh, John Hinderocker's squib on the the Proud Family stuff that Disney Plus is doing, uh, it's very good. Let me urge you to uh, read Carol Markowitz's uh, most recent piece over at Fox News. I think you can get it through Powerline or FoxNews.com to be sure. Carol Markowitz... I'm a, I always I always read people who were born in unfree countries and move here a little more seriously than those who were just born here. And Carol Markowitz was born in the Soviet Union. As I was saying yesterday, people like uh, political philosophers, popular and famous in the 50s and 60s, like Hannah Arendt and Leo Strauss, who wrote on tyranny and relativism and the, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, abuse of natural right in history— are worth paying a special attention to because they fled Germany. They fled Germany when it was under Adolf Hitler. Carol Markowitz was born in the Soviet Union, and when she writes about the corruption of American institutions, it's worth paying a special attention to her. And she has a great piece up. Disney World was our destination. What I found could be the end for a beloved American company. I'll just give you a little taste of it, but I would ask you to, uh, I would ask you to read it in full. I hold grudges against companies. In my family, we don't wear, we don't wear Nike because they embraced America hating former quarterback Colin Kaepernick, and for a family with two immigrant parents blessed to be Americans, we cannot abide this. I stopped using Gillette products when their ad torn to boys and men as angry possible rapists. I have a husband, a brother and two sons and will not allow males to be depicted like that for advertisement. And our family canceled the trip to Disney World last year after they inserted themselves into the political debate over Florida's parental rights law. Manhattan Institute senior fellow Chris Rufo showcased leaked videos from inside the company openly discussing, quote, adding queerness into children's programming. Barring Disney from our lives didn't feel great. This is a storied American company, she writes. Their success is the epitome of the American dream. I wanted a path back to being a Disney family and looked for signs that they had learned their lesson. Disney was quiet after the leak and went on to replace their CEO. Their pointed silence on political issues led me to believe they were changing for the better. I was rooting for Disney to turn itself around. So when I was invited to speak at a conference held at Disney World last weekend, we made the call to go as a family and take our kids to the park. We arrived at our hotel late and while my husband and I checked in the ki- while my husband and I checked in, the kids watched a TV in the lobby. I remember this show from when I was little, my seven year old exclaimed. It was the three caballeros, his favorite. As I looked up the year the film was made, nineteen forty four, I discovered that Disney had inserted a disclaimer before the film that reads this way quote. This program includes negative depictions and/or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together." Close quote. This disclaimer also appears before films like Aladdin, Dumbo, and Peter Pan. It's another attempt by Disney to placate the woke critics. What did Disney should learn quickly is that those critics can never be placated. That's an interesting point. They will never be. What? By the way, Peter Pan. What about Peter Pan would include negative depictions and or mistreatment of peoples or cultures, the stereotypes being wrong then and wrong now? Pirates. Pirates. Or maybe yeah, people. Oh, yo, you might be right. You might be right. Yeah, people with disabilities, maybe. Maybe. Or maybe short people or whatever that was uh Captain Hook, what was Captain Hook's assistant? Smee, was it Smee? Was he a short person I think he was. Maybe that. Can't just entertain and let kids imaginations run and run and run. Bruno Bettelheim talks about the use of uh, fairy tales to educate children. And the stories in previous generations were much stronger than what you get from Disney. He said the important thing is that they have a moral point. The important thing for Disney these days is to make immoral points, it seems to me. We have a lot more coming up. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to bring back our dear friend, Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the law firm of Snell & Wilmer, based here in Phoenix, offices around the country. SWlaw.com is their website, if you want to reach out to him. He is our constitutional elections attorney. And uh, we usually have him on Wednesdays, but uh, this was a uh, different kind of week, so it's delightful to uh, be able to have him today. Brett, welcome back. Thanks for joining us.
4: Uh, Thanks, Seth, and happy Friday with all of the chaos in Northern Scottsdale.
1: Is there a lot of chaos in Northern Scottsdale? There's
4: there's a a golf tournament going on. I don't really understand.
1: Do you know what Northern Scottsdale was when I was growing up? (laughs) When I was growing up, Northern Scottsdale was McDonald and Scottsdale Road. That was Northern Scottsdale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now you guys have five-digit. Uh, five-digit addresses, don't you?
4: Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, um, <laughs> Brett. You're, you're you're both a constitutional election attorney expert, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. We're watching a lot of these hearings take place, House Oversight, House Judiciary under uh, Congressman Comer, particularly in Congressman Jordan. We're starting to see some big fish testify before Congress, former executives, and we'll probably see at some point other current executives of big corporations. And while we've been, you know, paying close attention to the things they say, um, it's important for us to understand, too, isn't it, that if they say something wrong— um, or I should say if they mislead deliberately, that in and of itself could get them in further or secondary hot water, right? Lying to a congressional inquiry or a congressional uh, investigation is itself a, a legal matter, right?
4: That's absolutely right. And There's actually a, a statute on that particular point lying to Congress. Or false statements to Congress, which is separate, by the way, from false certifications and other false statements that you make to other government officials that are usually part of the executive. But you know, Cong- Congress uh, writes the laws. Obviously, the president signs them, but Congress has carved this this area out that you, you can't lie to Congress, you can't can't lie to a judge, um, and and there's there are significant penalties if if you're if you're caught. But you hit on the head exactly what the issue usually is it is very hard to talk about misrepresentation in those congressional settings because of the, the political nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. So those, those cases are few and far between that have actually stuck because they're really referred to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice then has to do an independent review as to whether or not um, they're going to take the case.
1: Right. Which brings up the second question a lot of people have called me up or have written me and said, how come I'm not seeing um, more people plead the Fifth Amendment uh, against self-incrimination? And I can't answer the question as to why they haven't. Um, But there are ways around that, too. There have been some famous cases over time where you can get around people who plead the Fifth Amendment by granting them immunity, right? And then, Talk to us about how that works, how you can give a grant of immunity, why you may want to, and how it kind of renders uh, a plea of the Fifth Amendment irrelevant.
4: Correct. And, and so the grant of immunity basically allows you to testify about anything uh, that uh, that you're being asked questions about. And so long as you answer truthfully, the immunity would stick, as well as... Anything that is developed, we all see in the in the legal field, we call it the You know, the uh, the fruit of the poisonous tree, right? right, right. Um, is, is that if, if because of your testimony, it leads to additional testimony, um, then you're technically immune all the way through. Now, there there is also a caveat, and a lot of criminal attorneys are always cognizant, of course, is that the government finds out about something, and there's like a firewall sometimes put up. Then there there are ways around the fruit of the poisonous tree. But for the statements that you actually make, you, you are immunized, immunized from that process. Um, um, so, and, and it's kind of sacrosanct because if they even try to say you weren't truthful all the way, that's even a high bar, too, because then the next person you grant immunity to, they're going to put some some parameters on what you can and can't say. Now, in, in, back up even further here, before you're granted immunity, usually the council, your counsel puts out what's called a proffer. Oh, it, yes, it, right, is that, which it, is a fancy it, right. word for offer,
1: <laughs> right? It offer, hey, yeah. my,
4: my client's willing to talk about A, B, C, and D. Right. And then you put it out there, and then they're like, hey, you know what, we're interested in A, B, C, and D, because it's going to lead us to about 15 other people, so let's give this person immunity so that we can go ahead and get that. And that's all done in the background. A lot of people don't even don't even know that's necessarily going on. Um, in, in this day and age, though, you know, especially if you're a high CEO or your media personality, or definitely in the political world, taking that Fifth Amendment has you know other consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that a lot of people are, are loath to do that. And if they can work with the government, or in this case, the congressional committee, um, on the scope of testimony and what's going to be asked then you're, you're usually in the best road to go. And there's people, that's all they do for a living is basically walk that minefield of negotiating between congressional committees and witnesses. Because again, it's not just illegal. There's a political element to it that you have to take into account.
1: So some people above a certain age, uh, roughly maybe if they're older than 52 or 3 maybe, they might remember the the famous testimony in the wrong contra hearings of Oliver North, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. Yeah, right, my producer's standing up with the, with the hand. Uh, that was such a famous <laughs> picture. So he was granted immunity, and then I think it was Lawrence Walsh or whoever the special counsel was, tried to uh charge him with crimes for things they discovered during his testimony and the judge threw it out right because he said no the immunity covered that you can't he didn't plead the fifth amendment that was the agreement he testified he testified honestly and truthfully even admitting to certain wrongdoing and you cannot charge him for that right
4: That that that's absolutely right. And then you also have now, again, going into the criminal settings, you might remember um, some uh, court martials. that a few years was during the Trump's administration of some seals, and some seals got were were granted immunity. And then they they got up. It was in regard to a guy named Chief Gallagher, if you might remember. And they they got up and uh, the prosecutor started asking them questions and they said, I'm answering honestly. And they changed their testimony as to what the, the prosecutor thought um it took responsibility for it so you don't when you're granted that immunity and you've given that proffer once you have that immunity and now you're under oath and you start answering questions that is when you need to be 100 percent truthful it's not the proffer itself so that's the um on the colonel oliver north um scenario that's that's where it kind of got a little dicey in the and the uh, special prosecutor in that case um was a little bit concerned so um it, it, it's again a minefield out there. There are very nuanced elements to all of this, and believe me, uh, the folks that are testifying, they all have uh, have legal counsel oh, yeah. that are dotting the i's and crossing the t's maybe oh, yeah. three or four times.
1: If you want to plead the Fifth Amendment, uh, if you want to plead the Fifth Amendment, and the investigative committee, whether it's Congress or a special prosecutor or any prosecutor for that matter. Would rather give you um, immunity to go after bigger fish, let us say, or to, you know, uh, as Lee Hamilton, back in the uh, Oliver North hearing, said, you know, we cared more about the truth than, you know, getting a scalp of Oliver North. If, if, yeah. if, 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 you're, if, if, if they want to grant you immunity to overcome that Fifth Amendment. Um, uh, uh, Objection or a Fifth Amendment uh, plea. Do you have to, as the target of the investigation, take that immunity or can you turn it down? In other words, is the immunity optional?
4: No, the immunity is not optional. That's what I thought. Right, right. Right. Then then you get uh, brought before. You're still in um, other words, they
1: they can they can yank that Fifth Amendment claim from you. Right.
4: That's exactly okay, right. Okay. And then you're held in contempt. Right. You're held right. in contempt of right. Congress right. or contempt of court. Right. Uh, famous G, G. Gordon Liddy, uh-huh. um, the Whitewater um, uh, 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 investigation right. of those witnesses got immunity, and then they refused to testify.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So so there there is history in, in that per, uh, respect, too.
1: Yeah. So if you walk in there saying, well, I'll just raise the Fifth Amendment, and then they say, well, we'll give you immunity, eh, then you're in the soup, right? Kind of.
4: That, that's that's right. You yeah. you basically either have to testify or, or you're actually going to be doing some jail time. And that's actually pretty clear. Once you yeah. have immunity and you still refuse to to testify, that's an easy case. Yeah, for Yeah, that's the judge. A,
1: right, right, right. And th- that's some form yeah. of contempt, I would assume, depending on the form. It is right,
4: right. It oh, is okay. contempt. Yep.
1: And is lying to Congress? Uh, can you simultaneously lie to Congress and be guilty of perjury? I mean, can it be the same? Can can it be the same sentences you utter giving you more than one charge?
4: It, it can, and um, especially when you're uh, perjuring yourself to a government official. So yeah. there's there there are multiple char- charges. Now, you, you can't do, and I'm going to get into the nuances of criminal law here, you can't do multiplication of charges, right? right? right. So it, eventually one or two of them would fall out because you can't be um, charged charged for, for two crimes. So, um, But the, the, the rationale is that you, you would be able to be charged, and then uh, whatever elements stick, that's what you're going to have to convince the jury of.
1: Brett Johnson. Gosh, you're just such a great teacher. Crystal clear. And folks, if you ever find yourself, God forbid, in one of these situations, Brett's the guy you want. Brett Johnson from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm. Thank you, sir, as always. Thank you, Seth. You betcha. Have a great weekend. I'm Seth and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm glad we got to do that with, um, with Brett Johnson, because a lot of people have asked, and uh, some on-air, some off-air, saying, well, you know, it's great that Jim Jordan or James Comer can call these people, but all they have to do is invoke the Fifth Amendment if it really gets, uh, you know, tough for them to answer and if they really don't want to answer questions in front of Congress. And the truth is, that is not a safe harbor for them. Yeah, they can initially invoke the Fifth Amendment, but if uh, the Comers of the world or the Jordans of the world think that you know they can go after bigger fish or if they think the truth of the matter is more important than the culpability of that individual witness they just say you know what you invoke the fifth okay and we will give you immunity and now the fifth is done we won't prosecute you but you got to tell us the truth and give us the whole truth and nothing but the truth looks like these guys Jordan and Comer kind of know what they're doing And, um, again, the trick is, yes, initially the hearings, but then really, folks, your job to redistribute them, whether you grab them off YouTube or C-SPAN or any other social media platform. If they just take place in Washington, D.C., it's not quite enough. Jim Jordan and James Comer are doing this for all of us. Now do your job and circulate these hearings. All right. Kind of an interesting uh, next hour coming up. We'll be right back.